Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. This year has gone by incredibly quickly, but it's always nice to pause and take stock. What's something you're proud of in 2024 so far? What's something you still want to accomplish this year? I know I'm guilty of falling into a routine and not always thinking about the bigger picture, but as the great Ferris Bueller once said, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you can miss it. So it's crucial to take a moment to celebrate your wins and make adjustments for the rest of the year. Therapy can help you contextualize your progress and set achievable goals for the next six months. As you surely know by now, it's not only for people who have experienced major trauma. Therapy is helpful in all kinds of ways, including learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. If you've been considering trying therapy, check out BetterHelp. It's fully online and was specifically designed to be flexible and customizable to your schedule. To get started, just fill out a brief questionnaire that matches you up with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Take a moment. Visit BetterHelp.com FilmDaily today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash film daily. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Thursday, September 19th, 2019. On today's episode, we're going to talk about the latest film and TV news. This is Slash Film Editor-in-Chief Peter Soretta, and joining me on today's podcast is Slash Film Weekend Editor Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. And Senior Writer Ben Pearson. Hey, what's going on? Okay, let's dive into it, guys. Let's um, let's talk about some some remakes that probably shouldn't be remakes and reboots that shouldn't be happening. Let's start things off with the Princess Bride. Ben, tell us about it. Yeah. So apparently, uh, in one of the worst ideas that I've heard in a long, long time, there was uh, at at Sony Pictures, there's been some some threatening rumbles that somebody might actually try to remake the Princess Bride, which uh, I think is one of it's definitely one of my favorite movies. It's one of, I think the best movies ever made. It's like a perfect adventure romance drama. It's got like every great aspect of movie making in it. Uh, Rob Reiner directed the 1987 original, which was written by William Goldman based on his novel, which is also excellent. You should read that even if you uh, are a big fan of the movie. So anyway, uh, Tony Vincent Vincent I think might be how you pronounce his last name. He's the CEO of Sony Pictures Entertainment, told Variety that we have so many people coming up to us saying we want to remake this show or that show. Very, very famous people whose names I won't use 
but they want to redo the Princess Bride. So there's no, you know, official confirmation that this is actually happening. We don't know who these famous people are, but uh, it's safe to say that like the entire internet seemed to band together and scream in one voice, <laughs> "This is a terrible idea! Don't do this!" So, um, yeah, guys, this is a terrible idea, and they shouldn't do this, right? I mean, I think so. Uh, was it you that read The Princess Bride recently, or recently on a water cooler episode? You talked yes. about reading, it? yeah. Mm-hmm. So I will try to link that in the show notes if I can find that. Um, <laughs> I, I will say this. Um, as time has gone on and I've come to the realization and understanding that they're probably going to remake anything and everything at some point, And it won't tarnish or ruin the original in any way whatsoever. I've come to care less because I don't have to go see that movie and I don't have to like it. And I can just go watch the original anytime I want to. And yeah, yeah, but here, here's the thing, Brad. I know where you're going with this, but let me just interject really quick. It, it it will not ruin the old thing, but then when you start talking about that old thing, people think you are talking about the new thing. Like, you know, younger people probably, you know, have only seen the ver- new version of Total Recall or the new version of The Karate Kid. Or the, do you know what I mean? Like, I feel like it then becomes the conversation gets weakened. I mean, I I disagree. I think you <laughs> I think you can stir the conversation whichever way you want to, and you especially if everyone agrees that it's not good, you can just disregard it. Uh, furthermore, and uh, I'll take whatever heat comes along with this. <laughs> I think the Princess Bride is only fine. Uh, oh no! Well, guys, I'm hanging up and calling it a day. So <laughs> don't uh, get me wrong; thoroughly entertaining, very charming. This is not a movie that I grew up watching, and I think a big part of the love for this movie comes from nostalgia and people who grew up watching it as kids. Because while I think that it's funny, uh, and it has a a very clever script, and the performances are good, and it does a a wonderful job of creating this uh, meta fairy tale, uh, I just don't think that it's the, the perfect movie that everyone thinks it does. I mean, I, I'm not a person that loves Princess Bride. Princess Bride is one of uh, Kitcher's favorite films. Uh, but I do like it a lot, and I do think it's one of those things that it, it is not amazing, but the execution of it is. Do you know what I mean? Like, all the things that involved that you pointed out. Um, like, you know, the people involved. Like, it, it, I think it, it was lightning in a, in a bottle. Like, it, it's... I don't think it would be easy to replicate because it's not like the story is amazing. Sure, but guys, but, I, mean, guys, but you're... I can't even believe that. <laughs> so I'm like I'm like flipping things over in my room right now. Wait, wait, wait so you think the the source material as it, it itself is like incredible, and that's why the Princess Bride is a great movie, not the execution of it. I think it's all of the above, man. I think the the as as everything that you guys I think all of what you guys have said is true in that uh, the casting and the the alchemy of you know those people in that moment um, brought together in that way and the execution is perfect. But I also think the script is just so good and and yeah, I think the source material is fantastic. I think it's going to be really really difficult to be able to you know, if Brad is true and, and this inevitably does get remade down the line, I think it's just going to be so tough to find that same type of, of um, you know, the, the source material is so good, but I, I just don't know if that magic is going to exist in it anymore. I mean, I think we can agree upon that. Maybe, maybe it's not a remake. Maybe it's a reboot. And maybe Fred Savage is going to come back and he's going to be the father reading the story. You know, 
I, I, I kind of hate myself for saying this, but that might be uh, an interesting thing that I that I might be interested <laughs> in because then you could have maybe him telling what he presumes to be the same story. Maybe he lost the book, right? And he tries to tell the story based on his own memory of it, and it's different because memory is interesting. Well, and, and you well, could have well, it sounds whole... like there's a good idea for a Princess Bride remake, man, <laughs> isn't there? But it's not really a remake, though, right? It's like a... It, I it's mean, like I guess a it sequel. Kind of be, it's, it's like parsing, you know, you're dealing with semantics at that point. But if it's, if it's just a straight remake, I don't think I would be interested. But if it was something that sort of played with the iconography of it um, in a way, then yeah, sure, I could see being uh, being um, intrigued by that. Okay, let's move on to another reboot, this one for The Peacock, which we talked about on yesterday's podcast, and this is a reboot of The Office. Brad, what's going on here? Well, Peacock, the awesomely named streaming service coming from NBC, uh, have been unloading all the new shows that they're considering making and the ones that they have in development and apparently one of them is a reboot of the office uh nbc universal's chairman uh, of direct to consumer and digital enterprises bonnie hammer uh says it is my hope and goal that we do an office reboot uh so uh no just <laughs> no i mean it's, first of all you do an office reboot it's no matter what it's always going to be compared to what came before and you're never going to create a show that is as satisfying as the first show that doesn't feel like it's desperately trying to cling to what came before it and like what story are you going to tell wait wait, wait a second i have to interject here because isn't the office itself a reboot Yes, but because you're making it sound like it can't be done, a reboot of the Office cannot be successful, but it was. uh, No, but again, though, what makes the Office in the U.S. great is when it started veering away from what the British Office was. The first season of the American Office is bad because it tries to just replicate exactly what Ricky Gervais and Stephen Merchant did with the British Office. When the Office in the U.S. gets really good is when it starts becoming its own show, and that's. really halfway to, through season two and then into season three and four are like the best seasons of that series. And so, yes, a, a remake of The Office does work, but this is not, a, this wouldn't be that. I guarantee you there would be some kind of connective tissue where Dunder Mifflin is still up and running, but there's like mostly an entirely new staff or something like that. And you just we just don't need it, especially since the show is still extremely popular today. Everyone's still watching the, old, the the original U.S. office, and people are still discovering it today because it's available in streaming. So th- this, this is just not something that needs to be done right now. Like, <laughs> but, but, sure. but, but Brad, someone once told me that a new reboot of it will not ruin the original. No, but it's not. It's not. This isn't about ruining the original though. This, this is about the fact that it's just it's too soon. It's too like soon. it's yeah. Like I, I feel like maybe in ten years, sure, go back and revisit the office. But right now, now is not the time. Um. In a second, I want to get Ben's reaction to this. I, I can say I, I do not watch sitcoms, and I'm one of the probably the few people in this world that has not watched The Office. I've seen Whoa, a couple what? episodes. I've seen a few episodes. Yeah, I don't. You call Peter. me the co- comedy curmudgeon, so I am the comedy uh, curmudgeon. Peter, well, Peter. Okay, yes, I know. Uh, Kitra gives me crap about it all the time. Uh, but this doesn't sound like too bad of an idea because, and I'll tell you why, because I think like the premise of The Office is conducive of like. 
rebooting. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's an office comedy uh, set up as a documentary crew following them. And that's literally all you really need to do for it. And you just replace w- w- with a new cast of great comedic talent. Now, that's hard to do, is finding the new cast of comedic talent. I'm not going to make that sound like that's easy to do. Um, I mean, look at Saturday, uh, Saturday uh, Night Live. has uh, been trying to do that for... 20 years but um oh, that's another thing altogether <laughs> just just don't don't talk about that live you, you have no idea what you're talking about okay. but with the the office what makes it special isn't the premise it's part of it is the cast but part of it is also is it more so is the characters and how they develop and change and i feel like they told so many different kinds of stories with the this u.s version of the office that lasted for nine seasons that you're, you're going to have a hard time digging into something that feels refreshing, that doesn't feel like it's walking the same territory that that they already did with the NBC's version of The Office. Ben, were you a big fan of The Office? I was, and then I wasn't. I, I ended up not finishing the show. I think I I think I jumped off like somewhere in the seventh, eighth season when when Jim started to become like a totally different character. I just sort of lost interest in the show because I thought they were really doing him nasty, and I um I don't know. I, I just didn't find it. I, I found it like this show was falling into a rut for me, and it just got to the point where I wasn't enjoying the episodes anymore. So I just bailed on it late. And then I came back and watched like the, maybe the last three episodes in a row or something like before the, the series finale. But, um, I, I, you know, when I loved the show, I really loved it. It was one of my favorite things on TV. And, um, I just find it interesting that Brad seems to be on the opposite end of the fence, uh, you know, on, on this argument in terms of remakes and stuff, um, with, (laughs) than he was on the princess bride, but I think you've done a a decent job. Well, yeah, yeah, and yeah. I think you've done a decent enough job explaining why, but it's just sort of interesting to have uh, what ostensibly seems to be two similar conversations back to back and two wildly opposing <laughs> viewpoints uh, right right after the other. But I mean, the other thing is like, I mean, I agree with you. I don't think it's worth rebooting the office by having the same characters and storylines play out again in a different way. Like, I don't think that is a good idea in any way, but I feel like the idea of an office comedy documentary style, mockumentary style, whatever you want to call it, um, is, is like a good thing to possibly right, reboot. But, and and, and, and you could do it in different ways. You could do it in an office. Then like, it could be like, uh, you know, almost like a Silicon Valley, like Apple tech, company like office and it could be like totally different and it's only- right but just just do what networks have been doing for years and make a new workplace comedy but like don't you think the name brand recognition is so important to nbc universal that that's why they would basically do what you're saying make a whole separate type of show but they then- already did that it's called that- parks and recreation yeah brad <laughs> i know they, but they like- need people to just subscribe to something called peacock so yeah. this is how they're going to yeah. do it <laughs> okay uh talking about companies with uh subscription services let's talk about disney and apple which uh apparently in an alternate universe where steve jobs uh were still alive they might have likely merged ben tell us about it yeah so bob Iger is uh, about to produce an autobiography called the ride of a lifetime lessons from 15 years as ceo of the walt disney company and vanity fair published an excerpt from this autobiography 
uh, in which he basically talks about his relationship with Apple co-founder Steve Jobs. And he his quote here is, I believe that if Steve were still alive, we would have combined our companies or at least discussed the possibility, the possibility very seriously. Um, there have been rumors about a Disney-Apple merger sort of swirling for years and years. Uh, Steve Jobs died back in 2011, and um, those rumors were around, you know, around that time um, because uh, uh, Bob Iger was on the board of Apple and Steve Jobs was a big part of Disney as soon as Pixar got sort of brought into that fold as well. Um, actually, as recently as 2017, there were some talks that Disney and Apple might merge. And it, it wouldn't be like a the merger that you might expect because Disney seems to be, you know, on top of the entertainment world right now. But back in 2017, they were actually talking about Apple being the one to buy Disney for something like $200 billion. Um, I guess I would, I just assumed it would have been Disney buying Apple, but Apple's the one who has all this money to spend. Um, obviously things would be wildly different if that happened because this merger probably would have happened long before you know, talks of Disney Plus and Apple, T Apple TV Plus, uh, even long before AT&T bought Time Warner. So, um, I mean, it likely could have totally reshaped what we know of as the entertainment landscape today. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm an OG Apple fanatic from way back. And uh, I like to imagine, like, what would Steve Jobs have done? Like, would we have the Apple Watch that we now have? Like, he was talking about, uh, you know, when he was uh, on his deathbed, he was talking about how they had figured out the app, you know, that how Apple could uh, re envision the television. And we never, that got abandoned after his death. Uh, so it'd be, it'd be a crazy different world if Steve Jobs were still alive. Um, and like maybe a worse one because <laughs> Disney is already like super powerful. And can you imagine, you know, with them, like, Disney having Apple's tech infrastructure on top of all the stuff they already have. Like think about just Apple TV plus and Disney plus combined. That is like, that's, <laughs> I, I don't know if, and, and this may have happened, you know, theoretically right around the time that Netflix was beginning to sort of establish its own dominance in the streaming field. And if this Disney Apple merged company, if they joined forces, maybe they could have, you know, stifled Netflix in some way, beat them at their own game um, you know, with the combination of all of their powers and stuff like that. I think it's just it's kind of wild to think about. Yeah, it's it's crazy because, you know, you have these conversations about how, like, the littlest thing can change the world. And it's it's hard to really imagine that that's true. But like, you know, the death of one person could really change the outcome of this world in a big way. Um, anyways, uh, talking about Disney, uh, we've been talking about Disney and, you know, what they're doing with Fox. They, they may have not even purchased, acquired Fox if the, if the had it happened. Uh, but they did acquire Fox and they have been saying since the, that acquisition that they are excited to have Fox Searchlight and, uh, you know, that award division and they're, they're, they're going to, uh, use them, uh, and, and, you know, foster good good talent in movies from from that division uh we've all been kind of skeptical but it seems like uh that might be true because they have signed on their first uh post-acquisition big director brad what do we know fox searchlight is still going strong over at disney 
uh, despite the fact that Disney has been stifling 20th Century Fox a little bit more based on their poor box office returns for the movies they had set for release this year. But Fox Lurchite made a new acquisition announced today. They picked up Wes Anderson's next movie, which is called The French Dispatch. Uh, It's a movie we'd been hearing about for a little while as new cast members were uh, added all the time uh, earlier this year. An official press release today announced that they will be distributing it worldwide. There's no release date yet, but they did confirm that the cast does indeed include <gasps> Benicio Del Toro, Francis McDormand, Jeffrey Wright, Adrian Brody, Timothy Chalamet, Leah Sido, Tilda Swinton, Matthew Almarique, uh, Lina Kudry, Stephen Park, Owen Wilson, and Bill Murray. However, there are some cast members that we previously heard about that are not mentioned in this press release, including Saoirse Ronan, Willem Dafoe, Henry Winkler, Kate Winslet, Jason Schwartzman, Bob Balaban, and Christoph Waltz. Uh, all of those people were reported to be in the French Dispatch, but are not listed in this cast list. And that could very well be because maybe they have smaller parts than the rest of those cast members. Uh, even when you know Wes Anderson has a movie that is based around an ensemble cast, which they pretty much all are, there are still other bit parts that are played by uh, actors who aren't necessarily uh, considered to be like a key part of the cast. So there's a good chance that these actors could still be in the movie, but maybe their parts are smaller than those listed in, in the press release, especially since the movie is, has been said to follow three different storylines um, as, as a collection of stories that are published in this magazine called The French Dispatch. Uh, and the movie itself is said to be a, a love letter to journalists that's set in an outpost of an American newspaper uh, in a fictional 20th century French city. So, yeah, uh, you know, it's always good when you get a new Wes Anderson movie. Fox Searchlight has been releasing uh, plenty of Wes Anderson's movies over the years, including Isle of Dogs and um, Fantastic Mr. Fox, The Grand Budapest Hotel. So they've got a long history. And, you know, any any Wes Anderson movie is good news. Yeah, and uh, him him making a movie with a big, awesome cast is, like, not surprising at all. Um, I do think that him, you know, reuniting with Fox Churchlight, and actually this is kind of a homecoming of sorts because Wes Anderson started his career, I think, with Touchtone Pictures. Like, they did, they were owned by Disney, uh, and they produced, I think, Rushmore, maybe even Bottle Rocket? I'm not sure. Um, but, so, yeah. So there's that. Uh, let's talk about uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. There's a sequel in development. Uh, ben, what do we know? Yeah, so Bloody Discussing has a report that says that Fede Alvarez, the director behind Don't Breathe and the Evil Dead remake from a few years ago, is on board to produce a new Texas Chainsaw Massacre sequel for Legendary Pictures. Uh, They say, while plans aren't set in stone, we're hearing that the hope is to make a direct sequel to Toby Hooper's 1974 film, similar to what Blumhouse and Universal have done with Halloween. Um, Yeah, so they said that it'll be interesting to see how they continue the story without Marilyn Burns, who's the original uh, final girl in the very first movie who passed away in 2014. Um, But they say that uh, this potential sequel could focus on the current state of the fictional Sawyer family. Um, or actually, I don't even know if the, the Sawyer family is fictional. I don't, I've never actually done like a deep dive into the differences between the real life story that uh, inspired this and and the, um, you know, the, the uh, liberties that the film franchise has taken. So the Sawyer family may be real. But anyway, um, guys, a new Texas Chainsaw Massacre movie. Uh, I, I just I'm not sure I'm not completely sold on this. I, I like Alvarez, but the only movie he's ever produced has been Don't Breathe, which is his own movie. So his involvement doesn't really give us much of anything to go on there. Um, I don't know. I, I think for me, it's like 
unless we're seeing a totally different take on this material from somebody with a, a completely different perspective than what we've seen before, I'm just, it sort of seems like more of the same to me with a new Leatherface movie. What do you guys think? I mean, I think uh, if as long as it's going to be a remake, I'm all for it. I love remakes. Remakes are my jam. <laughs> they are they're my favorite thing. <laughs> no, I honestly, honestly though, specifically, I think, I think horror is probably the the best genre that lends itself to doing reboots and remakes. You know, because people, especially when it comes to franchises like Texas Chainsaw, Nightmare on Elm Street, Halloween. Uh, Friday the 13th, there are certain staples and things that they want to see from those franchises. And they don't care that they get uh, repeated or used over and over again. But they also like to see filmmakers with a different style approach it and kind of give it a little bit of a makeover. Uh, so, like, a lot of horror remakes, I think, dabble in uh, dealing with a little bit of nostalgia, also bringing something new to the table. And so I think it's with something like this, it's fine if they're not necessarily bringing you know, a complete overhaul to the franchise uh, in order to please the fans, but also, you know, get something that interests the new generation as well. See, I've only seen the original uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and I've seen the remake uh, that was done like 20 years ago or whenever. Um, so, I don't know. I don't really have a love for this franchise, but it, it, it seems like another remakeable thing to me. Like, you know, this crazy family, you know, like it seems like the source material that this is supposedly based on or whatever, you know, the vague vagueness of that, like, it seems like something that is repeatable with that brand name, but I yeah, I think so too. And then there's also the whole like, Hey, forget most of this franchise happened approach that, you know, they've done in Halloween and Superman returns and Terminator movies and stuff like that too. So uh, it seems like they're just picking and choosing the things that they really like. And if it's a direct sequel to the original movie, you know, that's well before Matthew McConaughey gets involved and like all the craziness that happens later on in the franchise. So, um, yeah, maybe maybe they'll be able to um, appeal to the hardcore fans that way, too, by just sort of eschewing all of the, the stuff that uh, isn't quite as beloved as that original film. Yes. And I want to have a correction. Bottle Rocket was released by Sony Pictures, uh, but Wes Anderson did have a career at Touchstone Pictures with Rushmore, Royal Tenenbaums, Life Aquatic, uh, before making his way over to the Fox Searchlight with Darjeeling Limited. Hmm. So there you go. Um, okay. Anyways, uh, let's move on to our final story. This one, I guess, has a spoiler warning because we're going to be talking about Toy Story 4 and the ending of that movie. So if you have not seen that movie, you might want to tune out now because we're going to be talking about an alternate ending, which sounds pretty awful. Uh, Brad, tell us about it. Yes, so Toy Story 4 uh, kind of surprised all of us by being this movie that somehow brought a more satisfying conclusion to the Toy Story franchise, uh, or at least a, a character story uh, in the overall franchise, um, more so than Toy Story 3 did. A lot of people were naysayers, myself included, about whether or not Toy Story 4 was even necessary, uh, and the the story at the center of it really kind of took me by surprise and touched my heart, and I felt like was a worthy send-off for Woody, who has been at the center of this uh, franchise in, in every single movie and has had quite an interesting journey as, you know, a toy who has gone from growing up with a boy to being handed off to a little girl. And at the end of Toy Story 4, realizes that maybe he needs to have a life of his own outside of simply being uh, a kid's plaything. And he comes to that realization thanks to Bo Peep, who is a, uh, a porcelain 
doll who was also part of a, a lamp that Andy's sister Molly had when she was a kid. And Andy had played with this um, with Bo Peep even before Molly came around in Toy Story 2. But at some point, Bo Peep was given away because Molly didn't want uh, the lamp anymore. And Woody runs runs into her in Toy Story 4, finds out she's been living a life on her own without living with any kids, but you know, still occasionally getting played with and whatnot. And so he realizes that he can go and have his own life away from Bonnie. But the ending that Pixar considered at one point was uh, when after Woody and Bo Peep were celebrating in the carnival after finding a home for Gabby Gabby uh, with a girl who was lost at the carnival, Bo Peep suddenly sees Harmony, who is the little girl that they initially tried to get Gabby Gabby to go home with, but ended up not being interested in the doll. And somehow she suddenly realizes that Harmony is the uh, this, this new kid that she wants to go home with, says that she's she's the one for her now. And it just feels very forced. Uh, it feels like it comes out of nowhere. And there, there's, a, there's a good chance that if this ending ended up in the movie, that there might have been other scenes that preceded yeah. it. Yeah, they could have set it, it up in some way. Yeah, exactly. But as it stands in the, the cut of Toy Story 4 that we see, Bo Peep doesn't have a connection with Harmony at all, and so it kind of comes out of nowhere. And in a way, it almost would have been kind of a slap in the face to Gabby Gabby, because if Harmony doesn't want Gabby Gabby, and then all, Bo Peep thinks, oh, well, I'll go with this kid, because she, she wants me, probably. Uh, so, And then it also calls in the question, what would have happened to Woody? You know, Would he have learned this lesson from Bo Peep about going to live his own life? And then as she goes to live with a kid all of a sudden, would he still have gone on his own, or would he have gone back to Bonnie? Would he have tried to go with Bo Peep, you know, with Harmony. It's uh, There's no explanation by Josh Cooley, except that he does say that this ending did come close to happening. Uh, so whoever, you know, vetoed this ending, uh, please give them a raise, because it, it made <laughs> Toy, Story, Toy Story 4 infinitely better for it. I mean, we do have to acknowledge that throughout the Pixar process, the thing, the story changes a lot. Like, True. what they started with is completely different than what they ended with, and usually, you know, the movie changes completely, you know, probably five, six times throughout that whole process. Um, but you said this is something that was in the cut near the end, uh, which is also not something untypical of Pixar. <laughs> they, uh, uh, some of the biggest moments have been last-minute changes that they've made, but uh, somehow that company... Uh, you know, I mean, I guess you could argue that uh, Good Dinosaur did not <laughs> succeed in maybe Brave. Uh, but uh, aside from those, it, the track record of stories from that company is unmatched. Uh, so, uh, and Ben, what would, what would you have thought of this ending? God, I'm so glad they didn't do that. I mean, it, it is hard to say, like, because like you guys were saying, you know, we, we don't know how well they could have seeded those ideas in, but based on what we have, I mean, that is so antithetical to everything that Bo Peep stands for in the movie that exists as it, you know, in its current form. And like Brad said, it would have just left Woody in this really, really weird place where like, you know, he, he learns the lesson and you, you feel for him as a, an audience member in the current version, but you kind of feel like things are going to be okay because he's with, Bo and he's he's with um, Ducky and Bunny at the end, but I don't know if if you would have had that same feeling if he wasn't with Bo at the end. You know, I, I think um, they would have had to do some some serious massaging of the story to to have that be a satisfying ending or or something that paid off in a way that was even close to what they ended up coming up with. 
it's also a little bit of a strange change of pace because isn't it like the the human kid that's supposed to choose the toy, not the toy that chooses the human? Yeah, that's interesting. I didn't even think about that. Um, yeah. Anyways. Uh, okay. Well, you can read more of all the stories we've mentioned on today's podcast linked in the show notes and on slashfilm.com. This podcast, Slash Film Daily, is published every weekday on iTunes, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please feel free to send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns to us at peter at slashfilm.com. We've been getting lots of emails about the joke book, and uh, it is not one-sided. I will tell you, I, I will say that much so far. So, uh, you know, it's still open for entries, peter at slashfilm.com. Uh, please rate and read this podcast on iTunes. Tell your friends. Spread the word. We'll see you tomorrow. I think a better alternate ending for Troy Story 4, Peter, you just you know raised this uh, notion in my mind, might have been if <laughs> if Bo Peep was like, that's the little girl, that's the one that I want, and then like tried to present herself to the girl, and the girl's just like, nah, <laughs> like moved on, and that was it. <laughs> that could have been the after credit scene. Yeah, exactly. 